0: Quite ironic with cycling is normally about the, the landscape. You know, people like to see the pretty hills and the, mm-hmm. and the sand dunes and the forests. So now that's replaced in a backdrop of destruction.
1: This is the metal set. Hi, this is Dawn, an ultra-cyclist and sports PR specialist. And I'm Afshan, an endurance athlete and journalist. And we're on a quest to bring you stories of tenacity, courage, and metal From athletes in the Middle East and beyond.
2: As you can hear from this intro, this is not an episode that we had ever envisioned recording nor releasing as our first episode of a new year. That was Kareem Ali, the UK-based international coordinator of the Gaza Sunbirds, a Palestinian paracycling team. That's a team of cyclists who are amputees, which is located in Gaza, which as you'll hear in this episode, Karim describes as a hellscape. While we wish that hearing the story of the Gaza sunbirds would have been under better and peaceful circumstances, we're here to tell you that this is a story of hope and true resilience, a story of Sumud, which is explained in the episode. Like so many across the world, we found it truly difficult to make sense of what is happening in this little strip of land on the Mediterranean Sea. Like many also, we spent the past three months learning more historical context, hoping for peace, and doing what we can to show the world that athletes living in and from the wider Middle East, Palestinians included, want nothing more than what any of us want, to live in peace, security, and freedom, and to experience all the joys that life offers.
1: In this episode, we discuss the original mission and origins of the Gaza Sunbirds, including the story of its founder, Ala al-Dali, and the circumstances that saw him go from Olympic hopeful to amputee and then para-athlete in his new reality. We learn about members of the team, what life was like for this team of paracyclists before October 7, how their mission has changed, and what hopes they have for the future. We discussed the new Athletes for Palestine initiative, and we also discussed the support of the international cycling community, and how you can show your support for your fellow athletes simply by riding your bike. For those listening, we've included some information from internationally recognized NGOs that provide further context for some of the historical moments discussed in this episode, as well as some media coverage on the Gaza Sunbirds, including a feature in Rowler from October 2022. We invite you to read more and learn, and really to never stop learning about what is happening. We've also included links to the Gaza Sunbirds, so you too can learn more about their initiatives and story. Lastly, we've included some links to sports groups, both in Gaza and the Occupied West Bank, as well as some of the other international sports groups mentioned in this episode. We hope you were touched by this conversation as much as we were, And thank you again for listening.
2: So hello, Kareem. welcome to the show. We're honored to have you on today. Joining us, you're joining us from the UK. And first, I just want to ask, how are you? How are you today?
0: I'm doing okay. It's been a hectic start to the morning, but Things are fine. Nothing to complain about. What about yourselves? How how are you? Thanks for having me on the show, Don.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, we're good. I went out for a bike ride this morning and, yeah, feeling ready for the weekend. And I guess reflective every time I go out on my bike of how absolutely lucky I am to be able to do that. And, you know, so, yeah, we'll get into all of the things about your team today, the Gaza Sunbirds.
1: Yeah, and I echo Don's sentiments. I think we have Palestine on our minds all the time. Mm-hmm. And as a co-founder of Gaza Sunbirds, with all your teammates and athletes back in, in Gaza and Palestine, living under extreme conditions each day must bring different news to you. So what was the last message or update you received from them?
0: Good question. Yeah, I mean every day there's new news, every day there's new developments in Gaza, unfortunately. Sometimes the guys bring a lot of good news. I mean, I'm grateful for that. They are, they have done a lot of great effort on the ground to keep their communities motivated. But yeah, the last news I got was yesterday. Actually, one of our athletes houses was bombed in, in central Gaza and they had to flee to the south. It's now like a family of maybe 38 people or something like that. So yeah, but thankfully no one was like very badly hurt. His wife was a little bit injured, but just like surface level kind of wound um. I mean, we, we helped them relocate to the south. And now they're like in some kind of tents. They're being put up in some tents by some people. So that was a, like about a two day affair over the last two days.
2: Yeah. I just, I yeah. mean, I can't, I can't even imagine. I just cannot because I've never gotten any type of news like that. And it's just unbelievable that seems to be you getting these types of messages all the time from your team. How are you communicating with them? Is it like via WhatsApp or phone or are you able to talk to them?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I talk to them as much as I can. There is ways to get Wi-Fi in Gaza. There's like some street Wi-Fi in some places. Sometimes people go hover around schools. There's a lot of eSIMs now as well when there's mm-hmm. Wi-Fi blackouts. Actually, now I don't think there's Wi-Fi, but some people have Starlink, for example. Right. Um, there have been enough eSIMs circulated in Gaza at this point where like I've made sure a lot of the teammates have them um Mm -hmm. so that we can communicate and so in the border areas it's it's more possible to do that so yeah it's not been easy though i think it it Mm -hmm. takes a lot of time to to hear back now but we're very lucky to have that infrastructure in place as a team Mm
1: -hmm.
0: otherwise i mean we wouldn't be able to do anything we're doing right now
2: yeah I mean, we're going to talk about the current situation right now and what's been happening, I guess, what is it? Three months now is unbelievable. But we want to just go back to before October 7th and maybe ask you to paint a picture for us about what life was like in Gaza before through the lens of your teammates and the people living there.
0: Sure. Yeah. Life in Gaza was very difficult. I mean, people would generally say that life in Gaza was like living in hell, like in a big open-air prison. My team story, I mean, uh, I think Alaa is always a great example to talk about because he's kind of the person who founded the team in Gaza. Um, mm-hmm. He's my my partner in the project. So with Alaa, for example, Alaa was an athlete for six years in Palestine. And he had to drop out of school. He, he's like, wasn't, he, he comes from a, a refugee camp in the south called Rafah. Most of Gaza is refugee camps, actually, and he he pursued cycling for six years in a row until he became the best cyclist in Palestine. So it was it was really big for him.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: But across these six years, he was never allowed to leave for international competitions. He was never allowed to leave for international training. All of this because Gaza has been under a land, air, sea, even underground blockade by the Israelis for about two decades now. And so This is the start of kind of the constriction of him, you know, beyond the fact that, you know, he can't leave to visit family, he can't go back to his historic village in Palestine, they control the amount of food, the amount of water and the amount of electricity. And so in 2018, Alaa finally gets the chance to go and to compete in the Asian Games in Jakarta that were happening at the time, and he was thrilled. He was 21. It's going to be his first time he ever travels. And four months before, there's a series of protests happening in Gaza. And that's because people in Gaza were trying the peaceful approach to to ending this occupation and ending this siege. Um, So there was a series of demonstrations which lasted for multiple weeks called the Great March of Return. Mm -hmm. And the primary idea with them was Palestinians were uh, asking for the right of return and for the siege to drop. You know, and Alaa went to it as an athlete, so he went with his cycling jersey. He went with his bike and his hope was to be like an athletic representation at at this March. Unfortunately, on that day or not on that day, but across the period of the March, there were more than like 32,000 Palestinians that were injured and 155 people ended up with amputations. And that day he got hit by an explosive Israeli sniper bullet from about 300 meters from the fence and That caused the amputation of his leg eventually. It was the amputation of his dream. And kind of in reflection to the state of Gaza, Ala, actually, when he was injured, he was taken to hospital. And they tried to get him out of Gaza for medical attention Mm -hmm. because there was a chance that maybe part of his leg could be recovered. But because Israel controls the movement of people, 88% of people that were injured on that period and during the march weren't actually allowed medical leave to Israel effectively to get treated because there's nowhere for them to go on the Egyptian side. And so with that, Alaa had to get an amputation a few days after his actual injury. He had to pick between his, his life and his leg. So then you end up in a point where he's now a went from being the Palestinian cycling champion with a long future of cycling ahead of him to being an amputee from a refugee camp in the south of Gaza, you know, where mm-hmm. even in terms of Gaza, it's like, you know, it's uh, not the best part of Gaza. And so, I mean, Ala then obviously one of the most inspiring people I know, my inspiration for doing all of the work that I do with him, obviously, he uh, decided to become the first paracyclist in Palestine. And Mm -hmm. he started creating a lot of awareness through that about kind of his story. And his dream was now to return as an athlete and to compete in the Olympics as a paracyclist, so in the Paralympics. And he wanted Mm -hmm. to raise the Palestinian flag on one leg. He still wants to do that. But kind of then we we go on this journey with each other of trying to create this paracycling team ala wants to get people on a bike with him. There's a lot of amputees in Gaza. There's one of the mm-hmm. highest rates of amputees in the world, 3,000 amputees before the war. And I think since the war now, just the statistic on children amputated without anesthetic is at about 1,000 children. So that isn't even considering people that have used anesthetic for their surgeries. And so you end up in this position where we're looking to start a team. And so at the start, we got like $5,000 in for the team.
2: Mm-hmm. But we don't
0: get them in, we just raise them. And you know $5,000 is like one good bike. Like mm-hmm. let's, let's be real, but we had this crazy idea of $5,000, that's our budget, who's going to give more money to a bunch of guys they don't know in Gaza trying to do something. And it takes us a year to get the money in because the financial regulations around working in Gaza is so stringent, right? Mm-hmm. And this becomes like an ongoing theme across the team when we're trying to make it as well. It's like your average transaction to Gaza takes 15 days. So say Alaat wants to buy a bottle of water and he wants me to pay for it as the management. I have to anticipate that bottle of water 15 days in advance so that Ala can go and buy it on that day. Mm-hmm. You know, and So immediately you have these challenges. This is off the get go. We get guys on bikes. Now you're dealing with people with disabilities in Gaza. Already the infrastructure is super poor. There's no sidewalks, there's barely any uh, good fixed roads. Most people don't have cars because they're expensive. Mm-hmm. It's very expensive to have fuel. And so mobility is a massive issue for these guys. They can't actually transport themselves from their houses to to the training centers, what we eventually learned, right? Mm -hmm. More so than that, we started that year, this was 2021, with 10 athletes. And by the end of 2021, we had one athlete left. Why is that the case? I mean, it was super unmotivating for us at the start. I'm not going to lie. It It was a staggering start to the project. But when we assessed our very early metrics, we were able to have a, like a large number of a volume of sessions based on our objectives from the from the pilot kind of money. The athletes that did stick around, did see, we did see like an improvement in their mood and their confidence. They did ultimately learn how to ride bikes. The issue with Gaza was that the rest of life was always happening as well. Um, mm-hmm. And being an athlete is both a mental game and a physical game as well. So mental health is super important for athletes. And you're talking to pe about people who have had to live through four wars since they were born, who have then lost their legs and are continuing to live in poverty, more or less, mm-hmm. um, or being in a very difficult position to make ends meet consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like a 70% unemployment rate in Gaza, if not more, actually, amongst youth. And um, I, I could even be wrong with that statistic, to be honest with you. This was before the war. And uh, the opportunities for people with disabilities is obviously even Limited. less. Yeah. So limited. It's like, what are those few jobs that that are actually available there? So that that kind of becomes a challenge. And so there's always financial constrictions. Mm -hmm. There's the consistent war that's ongoing, like this consistent occupation, which comes every six months and drops a couple of kilotons of explosives on the strip. Right. so People lose friends, people lose family in this consistent state of siege and Mm -hmm. no kind of um, vision of actually being able to leave. And so in Gaza, amputations are progressive conditions, which is just which is part of the issue um, because the state of medicine is so poor, because it's mm-hmm. been so constricted by the Israelis, people don't get one amputation. They have three, four, five. We have an athlete, Hazm Suleiman, he's had seven amputations on his leg and he was wow. shot with two, two sniper bullets, one above each kneecap. He's our videographer. So if you go onto Instagram, that's all his work at the moment. Mm-hmm. um his life on one leg He's he's an amazing person um so these are the kinds of stories you start to hear which in like a period of one year you know people have had to go back for surgeries people don't have access to prosthetic limbs because mm-hmm. you know, who's gonna give the money there to get a prosthetic limb so they have prosthetic limbs but they're super low quality limbs and there's consistently defects with them and they're not sports based limbs so there's always secondary infections happening in their legs And it's just this consistent struggle of just being under-resourced, being constricted. That's effectively it. And say we get all over all of this by year two, we're in a position now where like, we know what we were missing before. We have a lot more community-based structures to boost inter-team morale and inter-team kind of belief. We start to support athletes with transportation from their houses. We have to include that in the budget. We raised a bit more money. We finally got the guys' helmets. They were training without helmets before. It was difficult for us to get things in. We got cleats and shoes before they had to tape their foot onto the pedal
1: that
0: mm-hmm. so they could cycle. Because with one leg, you have to like be able to push with both legs. And so immediately there are all of these like challenges, and and this is just getting these guys on the bike to begin with. And then finally, we when we started getting to a position where we had athletes that could go out and compete, or that could go out and do external training camps. We're talking year three now. Mm-hmm. We start getting hit with all the visa blockage issues and how difficult it is to get Gazans out. And this kind of like just how the occupation has disabled uh, a lot of the Palestinian apparatus from from being able to help actually in, in facilitating things. And so that's all life before October 7. But to kind of put it is that there's like this steadfastness and this determination from our athletes that has made it possible. and the support from the international community as well in, in recognizing their voices at early stages has been also super motivating to them. And now we got to a point before the siege on October 20th, where we had um, 20 athletes signed up to the team.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So we had 20 athletes signed up. They were all uh, training regularly. We had five training sessions a week, two for advanced, two for intermediate, one for children. So we had between 12 and 16 year olds with amputations that were also getting on a bike and kind of preparing the next generation of cyclists. So I'm um, and everyone, uh, and everyone
2: is a para-athlete on Everyone the team.
0: is a para-athlete, yeah. Everyone on the team is a, is a para-athlete, yeah. And I
2: think one of the things, like here, we're sitting here and we're both cyclists and sometimes we ride in groups. I don't ride in groups necessarily a lot, but we ride in groups. And to think, you know, we're in a peloton of like 10 people, just imagining 10 people who have lost their limbs to violence is just like, I think for a lot of people, a lot of cyclists, a lot of people listening, it would just, it's incomprehensible to actually imagine that and here's a team number one dealing with that and then all of these other conditions that make it just seem even more challenging yeah more challenging but like near impossible Impossible. you know to just exist as a as a as an athlete as a team before october 7th is just yeah i just wanted to kind of set that context for people listening because if they could imagine everyone they know who's a cyclist having to deal with these conditions it's just yeah And you spoke
1: about you spoke about steadfastness and resilience. And Don and I have been educating ourselves on Palestine and what is happening. And one word that kept coming up and something that our Palestinian friends uh, resonates with our Palestinian friends is samad, which is an Arabic word to mean resilience. But it means more than that. It means, like you said, reclaiming life and carrying on under siege day in and day out. And that to us also encapsulates what you've said and what is the mission of Gaza Sunbirds and what Allah has done in the last few years to kind of bring the community together and create this Paralympic team. Tell us a little bit more about that mission. I know it's changed now, it's, it's a bit fluid at the moment, but tell us more about that mission when you started off and how it's morphed
0: sure um so we've always had three central missions of the sunbirds uh the first mission has always been to empower mobility for people with disabilities this is really the cornerstone of it when you give someone a bike you give them a means to life a way to go to the supermarket a way to visit their mother a visit a way to like visit their children's school so yeah in terms of like mobility justice this was like a a key thing the second thing was the athletic dream we want to get a team to the Paralympics, we want to get a Palestinian team to the world stage. And we think that there's a lot of inspiration and a lot of strength that can be given to the world through Palestinian sports and through stories as well. And that took us to our third point as well, our third objective, which has always been to tell the stories of our athletes and their communities. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's not in the way to sensationalize the athletes, but to give us a, a way to bring pride from what they're doing and for them to feel proud as well and to feel like they're uh, reclaiming their narrative of how society views them and how they view themselves as well and so in that kind of journey i think having the opportunity to share the stories and to think about them has always been the the cornerstone of of what we try to do Mm -hmm.
2: and how did you get involved i mean you're obviously in the uk now did you and ala know each other a long time or how how did, how did it all come about between you, both of you?
0: Good question. Yeah, so in 2018, when Alaa's leg was amputated, a producer called Flavio Cappellini, she went to Gaza and she did the documentary on him. And it was called Cycling Under Siege. There was a version of it also made for Al Jazeera, which is shorter, it's about 15 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And so I was uh, 19, I was a student in university and came to me as a translating job, actually. She reached out to the society and the university, and I came to translate, spent a few days just listening to Ala's story on repeat. And translating is a very intimate experience if you want to do it right. You really have to understand the emotions behind what somebody is saying. And I, I think I got to a point by the end of it where I I don't know, I was losing it. Like, I was so touched by that story and I I felt it so personally as well that I was like, you know, I'm ala iddali, you know, like I'm, I'm, you know, this is just like, I have to help this guy in whatever way that I can as if I'm helping myself. Like, I Mm -hmm. I fully believed in his objective and his mission and in how it would like tie to myself as well as a Palestinian living in exile, you Mm -hmm. know, and so... I got in touch with Ala back then. I was really young. Um, he was young, too. I mean, we started talking about we started chatting. I wanted to help him a little bit. I was in some student societies, so I was just thinking I want to help him set up the team a little bit more, give him some like organizational pointers and things like that. And then eventually we got to talking about it. I kind of realized the challenges of the life that they kind of face mm-hmm. um, and we ended up coming together. It was me, Flavia, Isam Adwan from We Are Not Numbers. He's a local journalist in Gaza. My friend Sami Gali, and Ala, obviously our coach, Captain Abu Ali. We came together. Flavia kind of having discovered Ala's story and brought it to, bringing it to to the West, and we we just started thinking, okay, how are we going to make this happen? Then we we kind of worked on it from there, and it like since then it's been. Um, kind of a collaboration. People at the top—they've gotten busy with their own lives at times. Uh, mm-hmm. But generally speaking, we're a community in every sense of the word, and so everyone contributes to to the work. And we managed to to get this started over three years. It's been a it's been a long journey to get here.
1: Mm-hmm. And you said coordination is is a bit difficult, and it's probably even more difficult right now. In that case. What do you do? As in, what is your role, and how do you help bring the community together from where you are?
0: Great question. Yeah, I'm. I'm personally behind a lot of the sun. I mean, for a long period, I was working uh, alone with the few names that I mentioned to kind of push things forward. I'd say that I'm primarily responsible for the fundraising that happens internationally in terms of organizing it. I do all the marketing. Anything you kind of see in touch for the sunbirds abroad is is probably. Work that I, I do. Uh, now, I obviously, I'm very grateful that since October 7th, our team has grown. So now I'm working with 20 individuals and different mm-hmm. organizations and groups that are coming together to help get the Sunbird story out and the way that it's getting out. But that, I mean, that's kind of it. So I, I, I'm the international coordinator. And then on the ground, I'm the coach, mm-hmm. not right. the coach of the team. I'm the coach of the administrative team. So right. Uh, really looking at like setting our objectives and, um, kind of reframing our targets, understanding their needs on the ground, trying to coordinate that with our international funders and kind of, I don't know, ev- everything in between that, you know, I'm, I'm just there for the guys pretty much. And I, I have a fiduciary duty to make sure that the company is going well and that the funds are spent well and that everything's being treated responsibly, but yeah, I just try to coach their own partnership as well to, to mm-hmm. make things happen in a place where sometimes continuity is very difficult for the people Mm -hmm. that are actually in this consistent, um, hellscape pretty much.
1: An additional question to that, because you're not there, you're not in Palestine at the moment, but you are receiving messages from your teammates on a daily basis. You started off this conversation by telling us or narrating one of the messages that you received last night. How do you look after your mental health?
0: Uh, great question. I'd say that, Generally speaking, yeah, it's um, it's a stressful position. but you definitely are filled with a lot of gratitude for yourself and also for the team. Yeah, I think I get as much of my strength from them as they probably do from our international community right now and the support of all of the volunteers that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of all I have to say about it mm-hmm. I'd say that they keep me motivated, seeing their steadfastness and their resilience. But yeah, seeing their steadfastness and and their resilience in the face of everything that's happening is, I don't know, that's that's been the main thing that's keeping me going and keeping our international community going, I suppose.
2: Yeah, yeah. you mentioned um, having, I think it was twenty, right? Twenty team members on the ground in in Gaza, mm-hmm. and Ala, obviously being you know one of the founding members and kind of central to mm-hmm. the group. Can you talk us through some of the other members of the group um, and some of, uh, some of the other members of the team,
1: other uh, than group?
0: For sure, so I mean, off the bat, I need to start with our administrative team who like make everything happen. We have Mohammed Abu Safiya, he's a journalist in Gaza. He has been covering the war since the start, but in normal times, quote unquote, he's the team manager, he helps train the guys, bring the sessions together, coordinates between them for meetings, for press, that kind of stuff. We have Captain Abu Ali, he's our team coach, just a lovely person with an immense amount of patience, and a skilled cyclist and teacher as well. So he's been working with the guys for three years on training them. We have Hazem now, who's our videographer. And just like, and it, it truly like, Hazem's a miracle. I don't even know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> he's like going around on one leg, like one, one hand with his phone and then the other hand on the bike. And he's like, just filming everything so people can see what's happening. I think it's the most absurd thing <laughs> mm-hmm. you could possibly imagine yeah we have we have a lot of team members, I mean, a lot of love to all of them. I have Abu Asfur, he was the person I think I don't know if you saw on our Instagram, but we shared a story of him escaping from his house <laughs> on a bike. he mm-hmm. put his family in a, in a car in front of him and he pedalled behind them so that he could get away, fit more people in the car. Is there our younger athletes as well, Abdullah Angar. He had to flee like six, seven times. He had a child at the start of the war. It's called his name is Karam. Uh, he's nineteen, so his wife had to give birth within like a few days of the war starting. Wow. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stories like like this. It's um, yeah. the guys are great. The guys are great. Like I, I could give every single one of them a shout out, but <laughs> we'd be here for a while. It'd be a
2: long list. <laughs> You talked about the mission earlier of the team, and that's obviously pre-October 7th. There's been a bit of a shift right now because you know life is, like, as you rightfully called it, hellscape. What is the team doing right now within the community, and how are they, they managing?
0: Right, so the team has two objectives. Uh, so the first objective of the team is to record their lives and to kind of share what's happening with other people. They are recording all aspects of their life, what they eat, how it's like to get water, what it's Mm -hmm. like to go on a bike ride and see just destruction everywhere. Um, Quite ironic with cycling is normally about the the landscape. You know, people like to see the pretty hills and the Mm -hmm. the sand dunes and the forests. So now that's replaced in a backdrop of destruction. And the second thing that they're doing is that they've been doing a mutual aid network, trying to distribute aid in their community on their bikes. So since the war started, I think they've distributed something in the range of 45 tons of food through like a combination of parcels of cooked meals. They've done also a bunch of like essentials, baby kits. They've done some blankets. They've helped furnish a few tents and and put some cover over some people. And so it's like a very community-based response they've been doing pretty consistently. We've had periods during the war where it's been more difficult to to deliver the kind of support that they've been delivering, but yeah, they're they're doing a great job with it, to be honest with you, and it's all their own idea, which is kind of the best part
1: can you give us instances when the team has been able to access and provide aid when others couldn't
0: i think that's difficult to say i i i I can't say for a fact that no one else was delivering aid when Mm. the team was delivering aid because that just like wouldn't be the truth i think unicef Mm. has been trying to get Mm. food in the red crescent has been trying to get food in. the red cross has been trying to get food in. the uncomfortable part with this reality is the fact that these are internationally recognized uh, NGOs and organizations, a lot of them with ties to the United Nations. And even with this, the Israeli government hasn't been giving them permission to bring aid into Gaza. Right. Mm. And so they have been trying there. there have been consistent efforts from from their sides as well, as well as a lot of smaller grassroots charities from the Muslim world, from the West, from South America, from Asia, like really from everywhere these days, trying to bring support for people in, in Gaza, I'd say that when when we got started, it was really tough for people to imagine a community response. I mean, you can normally imagine the larger organizations have a lot more bureaucracy. They're also able to deliver a lot more help. That's mm-hmm. just the reality. When we got started, we started off the first thing was a bread donation. So the guys did 300 kgs of bread, um, which sounds like a lot of bread, you, But that's barely enough to feed like a thousand or something people for a day. Mm-hmm. That's like hardly also being malnourished, right? And so the guys got started with that. We saw that bread went well. They started doing tins and essentials. They started going to the leftover warehouses, the leftover supermarkets, although they were slowly getting bombed and all the the food inside them was going to waste, started buying it and distributing in parcels to the community when there was no more food available on shelves. One day they just walked in and the shelves were empty. And that Mm. was it. It was like nothing that could be done. The food wasn't going to appear out of nowhere. The guys started going to farms. Um, They started going directly to farmers. There's farms in the south of Gaza and buying produce from them. The ground invasion started and the farmers couldn't go and pick their vegetables anymore. So the prices of vegetables went up a lot and a lot more refugees came to the south. It's been this consistent, like new challenges that emerge. And the team, I think what's unique about them as a group of people giving out aid is the fact that they're local. We're 100 percent local. They really assess the situation on the ground and see what the best way to act is they have a lot of ownership over the project generally speaking so they understand that this is like it's not work that we're doing abroad for them i mean i'm just here facilitating work that Mm -hmm. they're trying to do themselves and um yeah that's kind of the the thing so they just adapt quickly they hear what their community needs when we're able to get money in which has been pretty regularly thus far thankfully they can use that to uh, to help out their community and they've spent i think around sixty thousand dollars on aid Mm -hmm. um since october 7th which is a I think it's a healthy number um, mm-hmm. for, for a team that's supposed to be training for the Paralympics. Yeah. So
1: you spoke about support, financial support for the team. And this is before the war began. This this war began on October 7th. How were you being supported? And who where were you receiving that support from? And then now that you're directing that support to help the people in Gaza?
0: For sure. So, I mean, the the team has always been funded by just people, just like everyday people. Um, We've crowdfunded up to this point. Mm. We have a few uh, cycling events that we do in the UK every year. It's called the Big Ride for Palestine. Um, We work with Amos Trust, who's a charity here as well. And in in Gaza, we work with ACS, which is an Italian corporation in Gaza. Um, And it's really with these partners that we've been able to fundraise over the last few years, doing bike rides and and the sorts of things. events and, you know, just trying to bring funds in for the team so that they can build their dream and, and facilitate it effectively. Yeah.
1: So our window to this war in Palestine is social media. Uh, most of it is social media. At least the truth is there because we follow civilians who are on the ground, civilians who've turned journalists and journalists who have died or continue to put their lives in danger to cover the ground realities. Gaza Sunbirds as a group is bearing witness to it and also sharing some of those realities for us. While this occupation and displacement of Palestinians goes back to 1948, do you view the role of social media in amplifying voices of organizations such as yours greater now than before?
0: Yeah, definitely. For sure, I'd say hey, the, the social media companies are no saints. They're obviously doing a lot to suppress our voices, to like, make our content less reachable to people. Yeah very much playing a, a role in, in covering up what's happening but at the same time having the internet is 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 incredible yeah it's definitely a, a blessing that my parents generation didn't have the mm-hmm. generation before them didn't have either when trying to tell the world the same message and um yeah i think it's kind of depressing how we've all had to get so good at tiktok and uh, like instagram and graphic design and all this kind of stuff just because we're trying to convince people and that's the way you communicate with people these days but i'm i'm definitely very grateful for the team's audience they're incredibly supportive there's a lot of love out there for the guys Mm -hmm. it really helps us believe in you know what we've been working on for the last three years it's um you know it's People would always say, like, why are you guys trying to do a paracycling team in Gaza? Like, Isn't there better things that you could be doing? And it's like, no, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. there are, like just no, not in my opinion, at least. And it's just it's been beautiful to see that the strength of our local community and our local cyclists and our local team opened up love from so many people around the world. And, and now the Sunbirds family and community has grown so much. In a truly like international way, uh, which is, yeah, that's that's the power of of the truth, I guess.
2: Yeah, it's been very touching to see what you guys are doing on the ground and the work of other sports organizations as well. Like I've known prior, obviously, like Afshan said, we're educating ourselves more about Palestine and just by nature of the work that we do, we were already aware of SkatePal, who are doing work in the West Bank primarily, and yeah, seeing some of the groups that are there now just trying to survive, right? Like not being able, just yeah, imminent kind of threat every single day. I know this. I think your work is so important in kind of changing the narrative. As you rightly said, you know, now we have social media where we can actually get the information. And as you pointed out, you know, I just want to make reference about the platform suppressing voices, we actually posted a little while ago about world record that was broken by Palestinian children in Gaza for kite flying, and I think in yeah. 2012, just highlighting this beautiful moment that these children had. They won a, a, broke a world record for it. And I had a look on social media one morning And that image was blurred and it wouldn't load. And it's just like, I'm like, what is happening here? And I noticed some other people who were elevating Palestinian voices and stories as well that week had mentioned the same thing. They were putting it in their stories. And I'm like, this is, I don't know. It's just beyond anything I could ever imagine is happening or would happen. So, yeah, I mean, with that, how important do you think it is the work that you guys are doing and also other groups are doing, you know, changing the narrative? away because i feel like in the beginning and there always has been now that we kind of look back at this dehumanization of people (laughs) in gaza you know and reducing them to statistics and i think you know sometimes people get i feel like sometimes not people we know but like people are like oh well that's what about this or what about that or this just happens and i'm like this isn't normal this is not normal by any stretch like this is not something that normal that happens So I guess I don't know what I'm trying to ask here, but it's like, you know, I think it's really important that to show a human story and human face. And for the first time ever, I feel like these kind of stories are breaking through. Uh, Yeah, I don't know if that's a question or a statement. (laughs) It's both. (laughs) Yeah, both. But yeah, it's just, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 like
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's been really nice to see that happening finally. It's a shame that it has to be under such dire circumstances. Yeah, um, but this is the work of century, like centuries now, but like generations of like media suppression and mm-hmm. of misinformation and of misrepresentation. Yeah, so we, we we're really <laughs> it's a very steep uphill ramp. Yeah, uh, to use a cycling term.
1: Yeah. We also noticed that Gaza Sunbirds launched other has launched several initiatives and some of them we are going to talk about to create support world over, especially, uh, you know, kind of roping in prominent athletes and kind of leveraging the position they're in to elevate your voices as well. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about the Athletes for Gaza initiative that you have.
0: Sure. So the Athletes for Palestine campaign is a campaign that we started just shortly after the start of the war, to be Mm -hmm. honest with you. And the idea of the campaign was simple. We want to get back to training. We want to get back to the team. We really were hoping that we could do some kind of qualifying race in 2024. And so, yeah, we just made a call out to the International uh, Sporting Society and community to just say that, like, where like sports is about fair play sports is about equal opportunity mm-hmm. uh, sports is about you and I meeting each other on the on the field on the road on the on the trail and like competing with each other as equals and what is clear about the ongoing genocide that's happening is that it's disabling Mm-hmm. It's it's disabling and it's disqualifying as well. It's stopping us from being able to compete. It's stopping us from being able to train. It's stopping us from being able to look after ourselves. And, and more so than that, it's causing physical damage to us as members of the athletic community. Yeah. And so it's just been a human demand or kind of request from the team to the world to please stand with us and to show your solidarity with us. It's not about politics it's just about human rights at this point it's just about the fact the war crimes are being committed we don't want you to come out and say any big statements just stand with the gaza sunbirds Mm -hmm. it's 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 that straightforward kind of with regards to the campaign and we're hoping that it coming from a sports team me being the manager of that team it coming from the athletes of that team that it will convince the athletic world that this is a cause to, to stand by hopefully and um And yeah, the Sunbirds are here for you, the same same way that you can be here for them. We're going to
2: we'll link to that in the show notes for anyone listening as well. So to find out more information about how they can get involved and sign up. And we're actually speaking to you a day before. This episode is probably going to go live after. But there's a big ride for Palestine tomorrow. Is that correct? Can you tell us Mm -hmm. a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, sure. So um, I love the big ride for Palestine. Mm, the yearly event that we would do uh, with them to fundraise money was a great experience. Always go out on bikes, lots of flags. It's a very empowering experience. You get to talk to a lot of people about Palestine, and so I became a very firm believer in that kind of model. I think bikes are cool to get around to places. You get to cover more ground. You get to see more people. Um, it's a great way to spread a message and mm-hmm. and to get to communities who maybe don't often have also demonstrations passing in front of them or don't get to see the same stuff that the central of London does. And so the idea behind the big ride for Gaza, which started actually in September in London, was to just start to raise awareness and and to build kind of like a cycling culture where every week we could go out and make some noise for Gaza. And as the war started, I think there was uh, like a lot more excitement from the from the national big ride family. And so we organized six rides uh, for the first weekend of the of the genocide starting. And um, we all went out. There was a couple hundred people, and we've been doing it consistently since then. We've had rides as big as 150 people in London. We've had as rides as small as 30. And as more people around the world have seen it, we've decided to branch it open more. Um, we recently got in to help with the Native Women Cycling Group. Uh, I saw from that in the United, United States. States.
1: Yeah. yeah. Turtle nice. Island,
0: yes. Uh, and they're amazing, to be honest with you, or she's amazing, rather, I should say. Uh, she's helped us organize about 50 rides in the States by just throughout her network. We've had a lot of solidarity from indigenous riders in the States. Um, we've had a lot of solidarity from just Palestinians and Jewish groups in the States as well that are coming out, just general cyclists as well in the cycling community stepping out, um, trying to organize these rides in solidarity. And so I think tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken, at this point, we should have something in the range of 65 rides globally happening. Amazing. Yeah, across the UK, the US, El Salvador, Canada, Northern Ireland. Uh, I think there's maybe one in Barcelona. There was people talking about it in Indonesia. Someone did a ride in Pakistan a few days ago. We have got one in Australia as well. Yeah, so it's been, it's been brilliant to see kind of the, the global response from it. And we plan to keep going with the rides. It's a bi-weekly thing. Like, yeah, right. it's, it's exciting that we got to 60 people. But come on, we got to get to 100 cities. We got to yeah. get to 150 cities. Like, we're in a movement together now. That's pretty mm-hmm. much it. And it's just, um, there's nothing wrong with it. You go out yeah. once every two weeks. You get some exercise in. You smell some fresh air. You get to let off some of that existential dread. as a result of the genocide, (laughs) you know what I mean, Uh, you meet some people who feel as angry as you do or as upset as you do with the situation. You re-energize yourself and and you give yourself a way to keep going for the next two weeks. So yeah, I I hope that more people from the Palestinian community also start to join the rides. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see more Palestinians joining. Get out, move. It's good for you. I swear. (laughs) I promise. It is. Um, Yeah.
2: It is. My ride helped this morning. I have to say that for sure. And yeah, I mean, we started this platform. As you mentioned, we know the power of sports of creating community and unity and understanding amongst people. And I guess really to abolish this phenomenon of othering different groups. We're all the same. You know, we just want the same things in life to be happy, free, be able to move. Of joy, family, friends. And I think, yeah, despite all these circumstances like just again, like my my mind cannot comprehend what is going on. It just it cannot. Every day I wake up like, ugh, like but just seeing the support that you guys have received and continue to receive that's growing has been really fantastic. And yeah. Yeah, we're really happy to hear that it's reaching the team as well to know that people are behind them and with them and thinking of them. And I guess what would you say is the biggest, the team on the ground, just what would you say is the achievement, the biggest achievement that they, that's taking place here? Like just helping one another on the ground, I suppose, like is amazing in despite these circumstances.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd say that that's definitely it. You know, a team is just an idea. It's a joint value system. In the end of the day, these guys are unified by what they believe in, by their hopes and their dreams for the future, more than it is for anything else. If we didn't have that hope in in surviving, if we didn't have that hope that we'll keep going when the war is over, I think that the team wouldn't kind of exist right Mm now. So I think that... I think that this cohesion is a tremendous achievement in and of itself because it, it showed definitely the role of the local team and also my role and the role of the international team as well in creating this community, which now in the face of war has continued to live on. And I'm definitely very proud of them for that. And I'm I'm yeah. I'm very grateful in, in bewilderment, and it's a consistent state of of bewilderment and inspiration from from the way that they're doing. Uh, things right now, and I think it's. I hope that the rest of the way the world feels that way too. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm sure that they do. This is this is, yeah. Uh,
1: it's. I mean, hope, as you mentioned, is what you have and what keeps you going. And so we we definitely want to end this conversation on that note. But what do you see for the future of Palestine? Keeping that in mind, what do you see for the future of Palestine and Gaza? Sunburst?
0: That's a great question. It's a difficult for, place for me to comment while kind of sticking to an athletic message, or even in representation of the team. Like, I know that I definitely hope for a future where we're all going to live in peace, ultimately speaking, and and not have to worry about consistent persecution. I know that the guys hope have the same hopes. You I know, mean, no one wants to see the destruction continue. We we don't believe that it can continue forever. The situation is tremendously desperate. It's going to take the whole world to rebuild what's been lost. And even that won't recover everything that's lost. That will just recover buildings and streets. I'm hoping that the war ends soon. I think everyone's hoping that the war will end soon. It's unfortunate to see indications that it might be like extending and that it might last longer. And the reality is things have always been crap, but this is just unforetold, you know, it's it's so um, beyond grotesque and beyond human, I believe, really. And so, I don't know, I think for us, in the end of the day, whether we're in Gaza, or whether we're in Palestine, or whether we're in Egypt, or Greece, or wherever the hell they're thinking of shipping us off to, we're still going to be Palestinian, we're still going to be Gazan, nothing will ever change that, nothing will ever change our connection with the land and our desire to represent it. Yeah, I think our athletic mission and our mission for people with disabilities will keep going. And even if the land changes, I mean, we're still the same people. So, yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, for those, listening to us now, is there, you know, a last message you'd like to give to everyone or, or tell tell everyone who's listening how they can support you guys?
0: Yeah, I mean, for sure. Um, follow our stories if you're keen to. We're big on Instagram and on Twitter. We're at Gaza Sunbirds. So it'd be mm-hmm. awesome to have your help in amplifying the guys' voices and their messages across. I'd say definitely get involved in the Athletes for Palestine campaign. If you're an athlete, sign up. There's a lot of great ways to get yourself mobilized and to start mobilizing more people in the athletic community. It's an athlete-led campaign. And I think that that could be very effective to get a segment of society that, you know, may be struggling now to get their voices out. Because I know that athletes are struggling, so a lot of people want to speak out, but are scared to. And so there's a like, long-term narrative shift hope there. Keep making noise. Don't stop talking to people about Palestine. Keep trying to educate people. Zionism or the state of Israel in the form that it currently ex- exists it isn't this indestructible beast there's no need to like mystify it in our heads at all giving people their freedom and their rights is really something that that is that straightforward it's not about doing anything it's just about not oppressing someone else it's mm-hmm. it's the opposite of having to do something you know and so yeah i think i think freedom is likely freedom is actually it's it's inevitable and don't lose hope in, in continuing to ask for it and continuing to to call for it as well because in the end of the day like we all want to live on a free world on a free planet and when a single group of population is, is slaughtered on mass and nothing happens to it it impacts every single one of our freedom it and does. yeah you're fighting Mm. for yourself just as much as you're fighting for the sunbirds or for Gaza or for Palestine.
2: Yeah. Um, Uh, I think, you know, none of us are free until all of us are free. And that's what i hold in my heart and what i know afshan does and a lot of our friends here as well so yeah we just wanted to thank you so much thank you so much for taking the time yeah, yeah sorry no, yeah it's been it's really it's wonderful st- let the guys know you know we're thinking of them They're always in a, yeah and everyone there we're, they're in our hearts and yeah our hopes for the future yeah. so thank you so much Karim, thank you so much Karim, appreciate
0: my pleasure. it lots of yeah, love thanks. have yeah. a good day
1: Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, we ask that you please share it with family, teammates, friends,
2: and even frenemies, or share via social media. Please also leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Five stars only.
1: And visit us on themetalset.com for more stories and resources.
2: Thanks again for listening.
1: Your support means the world to us. This is The Metal Set.